I'm excited about this. So I get to share here about sowing and reaping. We have done five straight series that were all based on just pillars of our faith. We started off by doing a series called The Greatest, which was all about serving, how important it is to serve as a believer. We're not called just to serve ourselves. We're not called just to build up our own homes, our own kingdoms. No, we're called to serve each other. And in a lot of cases, we're even called to serve uh, people that you might consider or they might consider you an enemy, but we're called to serve. We did a series on worship, which, man, our church has always just been a church that loves to worship, a church that loves to buckle down and just spend time in the presence of God. That's 31 years plus, I can say we've been a church that loves to worship, but I love talking about it. I love talking about what happens in those moments where the presence of God is really just I, I, thick, I guess is a good uh, word to talk about in the atmosphere. We did a series on worship. We did a series on prayer. We just finished that last week. It was called Friendship with God, but it was really about prayer because when we have conversation with Jesus, he invites us to have a conversation more like you would talk to a friend than somebody who uh, I know I grew up a little bit, uh, it, it, kind of a wrong understanding of God, like he was just ready to cut me down or I had to tiptoe around him because I had messed up. But really, we're invited into a friendship relationship where, where love unconditionally is really what it's based on. Uh, we did that. We did a series about assembly because as believers, it is so important to assemble and gather together four pillars of our faith. And then here, a fifth pillar we're starting this week. It's about giving, sowing, and reaping. And I know if you're like me, my mind goes straight to money when it comes to sowing and reaping, and that is very important. But this is not an entire series about money. We're called to sow seeds in every part of our lives. In fact, sowing and reaping is so important that Jesus told a parable, and when he told the parable about the farmer who scattered seed, what he said was, this is an important parable. If you understand this one, you can understand everything I say. So in a way, Jesus said the linchpin of the entire scripture is about sowing and reaping. Get an understanding on what it means and you can understand all of it because the word itself works as a seed. The word itself works as a seed in your life. The things the Bible says are true, but if you don't see them in operation in your own life, the biggest issue is that you're not taking the word and applying it to your life, right? You can have a packet full of seeds in your, in your kitchen, in your house, but if you're not planting those seeds in the dirt, in the garden, then it's just a packet of seeds. You could have an entire garden of fresh vegetables and fresh fruit that feeds and supplies for your whole family, but you're leaving those seeds in a packet on your counter. That's what the word is. You know, sadly, in a lot of households, the family Bible is sitting on the shelf covered in dust. I love the story Andrew Womack tells of sitting in someone's house and he wasn't paying attention. She gave him a cup of coffee. Actually, it wasn't coffee. He doesn't do coffee. She gave him a cup of something, a cup of water, and he put it down on the family Bible. And this lady jumps up and freaks out and says, no, get that off of the family Bible. Don't you know that's a holy book? Don't you know that book? It doesn't need to have somebody resting a cup of water on it. And he said, he looked down, there was so much dust on that family Bible that his cup had to go through a good inch of it before it ever hit the surface. 
He said, ma'am, I agree with you. That is a holy book. Those words are special. They give life. But if it's just sat on your shelf collecting dust for the last 10 years, it's not doing you much good. And Jesus himself said that, that the word is like seed. And when the farmer scatters the seed, is it going to fall on rocky ground? And before it can take root, get dried up by the sun, is it going to fall on ground where the birds of the air can come and steal it? Or is it going to fall on good ground where that word is planted, where that seed is planted? And then it gets what it needs, sunlight, water, to get to produce a harvest in your life. You got to take this and apply it. You got to plant it in your life to see it work. You know, one of the things that's a bit of an eye-opener, a bit of a, a hard statement sometimes is when I know what the Word says, but I don't see it working in my life, when I see the opposite of what the Word says, I can see. The question I like to ask myself, because sometimes we all fall into that trap where we have seen, why am I not seeing this in my life? I always ask myself this question. Do I really believe that God is at fault or withholding something from me when his word says he withholds nothing good from us? When his word says in, in, in Ephesians, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Do I really believe that God looks down at me and says, okay, everybody else, I'm gonna give them all these blessings, but you, no, you're a unique, you're a unique case. I'm not gonna do this for you, but I'm gonna do it for everybody else. No. God is not the one at fault. The word is not the one at fault. I look back at myself. And it actually gives me a little bit of comfort to think in my own humanity, have I made a mistake? Have I missed something? Well, that's a lot more likely than thinking that God has missed something or that God is not staying true to his word. Because I got to tell you, if God doesn't stay true to his word, this whole place is going to fall apart. This entire place is going to fall apart. Man, I'm glad that he's always true to his word. I'm glad that if something's not working in my life, I'm gonna take some assessment. Say, maybe I just haven't planted the seeds. Maybe I've let the birds of the air come. The cares of this world steal these seeds away from me. Maybe when I read the Bible and it said, hey, don't be afraid, but I heard about the newest virus or the newest doctor's report that I got. All of a sudden I let fear in and I am not letting the seed of the word take root in my life. Because the word says 365 times, don't be afraid. Because the word says in, in, in Isaiah 54, 17, by his wounds, I've been healed. In 1 Peter 2, 24, by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. So when I do get that doctor's report, when I do hear that, that report coming across the news that I have a chance at that moment to step into fear and say, uh-oh, what's gonna happen? Lord, we have a problem. Or do I have a chance to water the seed of the word in my life. And I have a chance to focus on the word and focus on the Lord and say, okay, Lord, there's this problem. There's this virus. There's this doctor's report. And I believe that your word is actually more true than that report in my life. I'm not making light of it. I'm not saying these things don't exist. No, there's, there's things that come against us. There's sicknesses that come against us. There's hard times that come against us. There's, there's real viruses out there that will face us that we will be faced with. But what is more true? The fear and the anxiety that I allow myself to feel at times or the truth of the word, stand and build my house on the rock that won't be shaken and stand my ground and say, you know what, fear, I refuse you. Anxiety, I refuse you. 
I'm gonna walk in peace because my God supplies my need, because my Savior supplied my healing, because even though this doctor's report says one thing, I believe that your word is the final report. And if what this doctor's report says right now is true in my body, it's not the final story. It's not the final word. That there will be a final word, and it is that I have a hope and a future and an expected end. Listen, if you expect it to end one way, and that's not good, I'm telling you, God has a different expected end for you. He's expecting something different. There's so many times in our lives where God believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been, are you, if you're an encourager, I know for a fact I'm an encourager. That is one of my gifts. I can look at somebody's situation and even if it's dire, I can look at that and I can honestly look into it and say, look, this isn't the end. You can handle this. We can do this together. You've got this. It might look dark right now, but just keep going. Man, God is an encourager. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called our encourager. If your conversations with the Lord don't end in you being encouraged, you might not be doing it right. I don't know. There's probably a better way of saying that. You, I'm sure there's a better way of saying that, but that's just what, that's how I'm going to say it right now. That's how I'm going to say it. He is an encourager and he believes in you. He believes in what you can do because he's given you his word and it won't return void. Jesus didn't come and die for people and, and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide forgiveness of your sins. I'm gonna provide healing of your diseases and then think, but you know what? You'll never, you'll never get it. You're not, no, he did it because he believes that you're gonna step into it. He believes you're going to step into a relationship with him and see that word produce fruit in your life. Sowing and reaping, it's what the entire word is based on. One of the things that makes sowing, giving, really simple, and this is true when you relate it to finances, is true when you relate it to other areas in your life where you give. It could be time, energy. Listen, every mom, every dad in here knows we have a limited amount of energy, and kids, boy, they take up a lot of it, right? And, and work takes up a lot of it. And church, man, sometimes can take up a lot of it. But you know what? All these things are important. All these things are important, and all these things deserve time. Us to give, and I'm telling you, when we apply the, apply the principles of the words, we also won't lack on the receiving side of it. We give finances, we receive finances. We give time, I'm telling you, we receive time. How does that work? I don't know. That's, that's the Lord's issue to figure out, not mine. We give energy, I'm telling you, we receive energy. We give somebody uh, a shoulder to cry on, I'm telling you, you give friendship, you're gonna receive friendship. It's just the way everything works. But there's this awesome truth, and we can look at finances when it comes to it, when, when, and, and base so much more truth on this, is that this, it all belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. There's this great verse, First Chronicles 29, 12, New Living Translation, here's what it says. Riches and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. Riches come from God and God alone. They belong to him, so 
Here's what makes giving simple. If it doesn't belong to me anyway, all I have to do is be a good steward of what somebody else owns. That is an important word, steward. As a noun, the word steward means it's, it's a person who's employed to manage another person's property. Any property managers in the house, put your hands up. Anybody steward property in this room, right? There's a few. Anybody understand through your own employment what it means to be a steward? Man, it means this belongs to somebody else, but it's given me this authority to take care of it. As a verb, to steward something means to manage or look after. When it comes to finances, when it comes to our time, when it comes to our lives, it's all a gift from the Lord. It all belongs to Him. So as a steward, my job is to get with the Lord and say, all right, this is your property. What do you want me to do with it? I've died to myself. I've said yes to Jesus. What do you want me to do with my time? Where do you want me to put my energy? When we allow God first place in our lives, I'm telling you there won't be a part of your life that suffers. When we give God first place and he says, yes, all your money, your finances, it belongs to me. Here's how I think you should give to your church. This is what belongs in, your, in the ground. This is what belongs to your children. We give to our kids. This is the part of your finances that belongs here. And this is where it belongs in your savings account. This is what belongs here. And when we talk about our time, this is where I want you to spend your time. Go spend some time with your son right now. Right now, go take your daughter somewhere. Have a nice dinner. Hey, it's Sunday morning. Go to church. It's Monday at eight o'clock. You got to go to work. So you know what? Let's spend some time on the way. But when we steward our time well, we won't lack time. When we steward our energy well, we won't lack energy. When we steward our finances well, we won't lack finances. Listen, it's this simple. If you put oranges in the ground, if they grow, the orange seeds, you're going to get oranges. You don't have a chance of getting something else. I can tell you what you've planted in your garden by looking at the fruit of your garden. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to say, well, I planted peppers over there. Well, I can see those are peppers. I planted apples, an apple tree over here. I can see that's an apple tree. Man, once your garden starts producing fruit, you don't have to tell me at all what you planted. I can go and look at it. I can see the fruit. I can see the vegetables and I can say, man, these are awesome peppers. Look, you planted corn right there. You planted this, you planted that. Listen, our lives and the fruit our lives are producing are the garden of our own doing. I don't have to know what you've planted in your life. When we get close to each other, if the fruit that I see in your life is, is, is joy and peace, Man, I can look at your life and say, man, you've, you must be a peacemaker. Man, everywhere you go, it's just like peace follows you. You're so happy. I, I can see the joy of the Lord all over you. And I can tell you're, you've been planting seeds of joy. But it's also true on the other end. If your life is filled with anxiety and fear, then these are the seeds you are planting. If your life is filled with, with heartache, with shame, listen, there are things, there's results that come from situations in life, sometimes we can't control what we always can control our responses. And the fruit that's being produced in your life shows yourself and others what seeds you've sown. 
It's just that simple. Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. This is a great verse. He's given us the power to get wealth. We can apply this to finances, but also we can apply it to any other part of our life. He's given us the power to get wealth of whatever, time, effort, energy, relationships, friendships, fill in the blanks. You have the power. Here's the thing. So many times in our lives, we consider the blessing, we consider the asset, the result of the real blessing and the real asset. Lord, you've given me so much, uh, I don't know, friendship with people, whatever. No, no, the blessing is that you have the power to go get friends. Lord, you've given me finances. You've given me money. Well, really, no, he didn't. He's given you the power to go get wealth. He's given you two hands and you can go and you can plant seed and you can plow a field and you can create something for yourself. The blessing is not the money. The blessing is the power to get wealth. The blessing isn't even the friends. It's the power to go get friends. The blessing isn't the thing. It's the power and the ability to go get it. The blessing that the Bible, that that, that the Lord spoke over you, his children. And he said in Psalm chapter one, when you delight in my word, then you'll be like a tree planted by the water. You will bear fruit every season and you will prosper in everything you do. That's the blessing. That is the asset, if you will. It's not the wealth. It's the power to go get it. And that's true in any season that comes your way. That's true in the spring season of plenty. That's true in a winter season where it looks like there's lack all around you. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. Elijah, the prophet, had a word from God. Go to the brook. I'm going to feed you there. In fact, he sent ravens to feed Elijah. Well, there's this great verse we like to look over. We like to talk about, uh, well, that's where the supply was. He said yes to God and he found his supply. And that's the case with us. When we say yes to the Lord, we find our supply. But here's how that story transitions. Elijah was at the brook and it dried up. Just let it sink in here. He was where the Lord told him to go and the brook dried up. There's so many times in our life when things dry up and our first question is, why, Lord? Or it's, I thought I did what you told me to do. What did I do wrong? Sometimes you don't do anything wrong. Sometimes the brook just dries up. And when it dried up, here's what the Lord said. Now go to this village. There's a lady there who's gonna take care of you. So a better question when the brook dries up in your life is, hey, what's next, Lord? I know you're not gonna leave me hungry. I know you're not gonna leave me hanging here still in need. So where's the next step? What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? Because this brook has dried up. Sometimes the brook dries up even when you say yes to the Lord. But he's not gonna leave you there. He's not gonna leave you by that dried up brook. Because as we move forward in our relationship with him, and we give, and we steward what he's given us well, we will always find supply. We will always find supply because the blessing, the asset, is that you will be like a tree. 
you will bear fruit every season, no matter what it looks like around you, and you will prosper in everything you do. This is also the difference between the children of Israel when they left Egypt and when they got to the promised land. They were slaves in Egypt. They were at the command of, of Pharaoh and his, uh, and his army, his government. They had to do whatever they were told. So the Lord steps in. They get set free. They're in the desert. And you know, in a desert, it's hard to grow stuff. In a desert, it's, it's hard to plant seeds and, and see anything grow. And there wasn't much planting for those 40 years the children of Israel were in the desert. Do you know how they got their food? They woke up in the morning and there was manna from heaven on the ground. Looked like bread, tasted like honey is what the word describes it as. But it was such an unusual thing that the name manna actually means what is it? So it showed up on the ground one day. They said, what is it? And God was like, exactly. And then they ate it. So every morning they woke up and there was enough manna on the ground for them to have that day. And if they kept it overnight, it got wormy and nasty and gross. So they had to just go to sleep every night and trust and believe the Lord that their supply would be there in the morning. They didn't do anything for it. They didn't plant anything to receive it. It was just a miracle. They lived miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle in the desert. And let me tell you, I love a good miracle, but that's not God's best. It's not God's best to live miracle to miracle. Here's what God's best is. They were on their way to a place called the promised land. And here's what the Lord said about the promised land. Well, it's flowing with milk and honey. When you get there, you're going to have to plow your fields. They hadn't done that in 40 years. They got food by waking up in the morning and picking it up off the ground. Wait, we're going to have to do what? When we get to the promised land, you're not going to just feed us anymore? We're going to have to do what? We're going to have to work for it a little bit? We have to plow our own ground? We have to plant seeds? This doesn't sound like the promised land. Oh, also, there's going to be giants. You're going to have to enter that land. You have to pick up your sword and you're going to have to go fight. Wait a minute. We've been in the desert for 40 years. When, when people come against Moses, the ground just opens up and swallows them. You're not just going to open the ground up and swallow people for us. We have to go do this ourselves. Yes. The promised land is not sitting around and waking up in the morning and finding bread on your table. The promised land is that you have the power to go get that bread. And when you plant seeds, there's this supernatural thing about it that the world doesn't get to enjoy that God says, when you put your hands to it, it will prosper. We have a friend in King, North Carolina, and he's a chicken farmer. He's also a pastor. And he has this contract with this nationwide um, chicken company. And it, their name is on all, all the so much of the chicken you see all throughout the whole U.S. It's his biggest contract. And there was a drought in King, North Carolina um, years ago. And um, at the same time during this drought, PETA was also going from farm to farm and protesting uh, just the fact that they keep chickens in chicken houses. This was just a thing PETA was doing at the time. And they chose Pastor Bob's farm and they were on the news and they were protesting Pastor Bob's chicken houses. Meanwhile, this drought in King, North Carolina just caused this pandemic across it. And all these chicken farmers were losing chickens by the thousands. And they were losing all these valuable contracts because they weren't producing the eggs and because they weren't being able to produce the chickens. Meanwhile, Pastor Bob is on the news 
talking about how PETA hasn't left him alone for the last few days. And somebody from this big company saw, this guy's got chickens. So the next day he gets a phone call. Hey, do you actually have chickens and eggs? Oh, I got lots. His chickens were prosperous through this drought. The next day, he didn't just have his biggest contract. He had like the only contract in all of King, North Carolina. Uh, This company and another large company was coming every day and getting his chickens and his eggs. So not only was there a drought, not only was there a, a big issue happening with everybody else's chickens, Pastor Bob's chickens prospered through this. And the enemy, somebody's coming against him. And the Lord even used that to put him and his chicken houses on display. And it ended up being a huge blessing for him. Because the asset, the blessing, isn't the chickens. It's not the eggs. It's the word that says when you put your hands to something, it will prosper. If you have been sitting around waiting on the Lord to put manna on your front porch every morning, or maybe you're waiting for manna in your bank account, or maybe you're waiting for manna when it comes to time and energy, that's just not his best. Will Will he work a miracle in your life? Absolutely. He's a God of miracles. But let me tell you what his word says. Go put your hand to something and see it prosper. Sow, sow seeds. Sow the fruit that you need to see in your life. Sow it. And here's the good thing about it. What makes it simple? We already read this scripture. It doesn't belong to you anyway. You're a steward. So Lord, what do I need to sow right now? What do I need to sow? Really, this probably we could take a few minutes and talk about how to hear the voice of God because that's an important part of sowing. Because he won't withhold. When Lisa and I were first married, we heard a minister who we really respect talk about how he gave away 90% of his income. So we were 20, we were married, we had a house, we, we built it, and we were so happy with our, our, our home, and we thought we were really something. And uh, he said, I give away 90% of my income. And I said, hey, we should do that too. So we started giving away every dollar that came into our lives. And one day Lisa's dad, Lisa's parents, I don't know if if you parents that have kids who are married um, are like Lisa's parents, but there is nothing off limits with them. They will sit down beside you and just say things like, hey, how much money you got? What's in your savings account? I mean, like the most invasive questions. And there's nothing inside of them that says, don't ask this. And if you you kind of uh, reroute the question a little bit, they're like, what are you talking about? No, I'm asking you a question. You need to answer this question. So one of those times, Lisa's dad sits down beside me. He's like, hey, boy, you taking care of my daughter? How much money you got? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what you got in your savings? I, I told him. And he goes, wait, why, does, why is that all you have? And I said, I don't know. That's all that's, that's left, you know, once we, once we do things. And he goes, what? where's all your money going? He's like, you don't got anything. Like, you got your house, but y'all don't go out. Like, I said, well, we're giving a lot away. He's like, how much? I showed him how much we were giving away. And my father-in-law, who's also a pastor, looked at me and said, you're giving away too much. He said, you're putting your seed in, you're, you're putting your seed and your bread in the offering basket. He says, your, your bread is not gonna do any good in the ground and your seed is not gonna do any good if you eat it. And listen, there's a lot of believers who eat all of their seed and don't put it in the ground. And then there's also a lot of believers who put all their bread in the ground and you'll suffer either way you got to put your bread on the table. you got to put your seed in the ground. And the promise is, is when you're a good steward of what the Lord has put in your hands, he will release more into your hands. There's another great parable of the, uh, the master that gave the three servants the talents. The talent um, was money. 
And I heard someone say this recently, um, man, it takes an exchange rate that literally goes through time and space to figure this out. I mean, we're talking about figuring out how much a talent was worth 2000 years ago. How does that translate to our dollars? So don't hold me to this, but we have a close friend. And he said, one talent is equal to about $1.2 million. So we're not talking about the servant, the poor servant that only got one talent. It wasn't like the, the master said, hey, here's $10. Treat it good, like, like Judah. Today's my son's 14th birthday, and our sweet next-door neighbor walked over and gave him a dollar for each year and one to grow on. She handed him $15, and uh, listen, that's a valuable gift, and there's a lot of value in $15. I could tell, though, she considered that $15 a 1960s $15. She's like, you can put that towards your car, you know? You can make your first house payment with that one, son. You better hold on to it. Very sweet gift, very valuable gift. But we're not talking about a master that trusted his servant with 10 bucks, 15 bucks. We're talking the one that got one, according to my friend Tafara, who did the exchange rate through time and space. This is a million plus dollars. He also gave one of the servants 15 talents. That dude was loaded, right? He has some money. But here's the story is that the one he gave a lot of talents to and the one he gave a few talents to, they all invested this money they did what was right. They brought a return to the master. The one that was given one talent, he was nervous. He said, you're a hard man, so I just went and buried it. Here's your money back. And this guy's like, wait, you didn't do anything good with it. You didn't do what I told you to do. You didn't do what I told you to do. And he took it back and gave it to the other ones. If you're a business owner, you can learn a lot from this. Or if you're a manager, you can learn a lot from this. Have you ever given a one-talent employee five talents? I've done this. I've given somebody five jobs. They were a one-job person. Hey, you can be in charge of this, this, and this. They did this one really well, and these two got completely forgotten. That's not their fault. That's my fault, right? I need to know who around me is a one-talent person, a two-talent person, a 15, right? We get to know this. Well, you know, the Lord doesn't have to just guess, right? God doesn't have to just guess. He knows who we are. He knows what we're capable of. And what you have right now, you have a choice. I can be faithful with it and I can receive more or I can be stingy with it and it'll all dry up. Not even just stingy. I can be, do whatever I want with it and I can see it drive. I can just go out. And, and again, we can relate this to money and finances, but we can also relate this to anything else in life that we are lacking you have a certain amount of time. And if you've given your life to the Lord, it belongs to Him. Man, if you always find yourself struggling to get the jobs accomplished, how do I balance family, work, church, etc.? I don't know if there's anybody that can just stand in front of you and say, well, here's your answer. Because all of our lives are unique. However, we do have a Father in heaven that has released everything you have to you. And his promise is that when you are faithful, when you put your hand to something, when you put the seed in the ground, you will not lack any good thing. When I'm saying, Lord, how do I spend my time today? Instead of just letting it happen, well, you're gonna have to go to work, pick your kids up. He will tell you hour by hour. He'll give you the answers. He doesn't want you to have to figure it out for yourself. And as you say yes to him, the increase comes. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. When we plow those fields in the promised land, 
We're not just going to get a regular harvest. We're going to get a harvest that will be that will that will arrive in winter, spring, summer, and fall and will grow greater than anything this world can imagine because you have the promise that what you put your hands to will prosper. That's good news to me. That makes giving very simple. This isn't mine in the first place. Tell me what you want me to do with it, Lord. And you guys know if you've been here for any length of time, that's how I talk about giving, tithing, and offering all the time even with our finances here. Man, if you come to me and you say, hey, I want to give this church $10,000. That's every penny I have. You know what my question is going to be? I'm not just going to jump up and down and say, thank you for the $10,000 gift. Listen, I'm your pastor and I want to be a good shepherd. So I'm going to say, man, that's awesome. Did the Lord tell you to put $10,000 into our church? Well, I don't know. I don't think he did. Well, why are you going to do it? Because I just want to, I want to give $10,000. i am going to say, hey, let's slow down. Let's make sure you're not putting your bread into the ground because that's not going to be good for anybody. Let's figure this out. Did the Lord tell you to plant this seed? That's a great question. Is the Lord telling you to give? And hey, we're going to have a few chances to give over this next few months, especially over this series, to Ashley and Carly and to Hope for India. Some of you have already given this quarter to Hope for India, but we're going to give to them as well. It's funny if there's any question in your mind, is the church doing a series about giving because they want more money? Well, this might answer the question for you. We're going to give away more money during this series than we've given away all year put together. Amen. So that should answer that question uh, right there. Like whatever, whatever we all give, it's probably going to be way more than 25% of every dollar over this next month because we have some chances to give. Um, but man, it's important to understand if this doesn't belong to me, whether it's finances, time, effort, whatever it is, all I got to do is say, Lord, how do I steward this well? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So let's just stop right there. This is how we'll close with this verse. Uh, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. What do we need grace for? Everything. How does anybody survive in this world without grace? Are you perfect? I don't think so. Am I? I don't think so. I need grace right there every day just to wake up and experience salvation. I need grace in raising my kids because they are 16 and 14. And I tell you about nine out of the 10 issues they come to me with I at least met with, I, I don't know. I don't know. How do you do that? When can my kids have phones? I don't know, right? And when they do, they're gonna have this app called Safari and it literally opens them up to all the filth on the internet, sometimes by accident. How do we control that? I don't know. I can try. I can do my best, but I'm telling you, my best is still not gonna measure up. I need grace to know how to raise my kids. I need grace to know when they can have a phone, when they can have access to social media. I need grace running a church with our staff here. I need grace in that. You need grace in that. You need grace to walk into your place of employment every day and face those issues. So let's put that verse back up there. You ready for this? I want everybody to see it as we talk about it. We're getting there. It's coming. It's coming. There we go. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. How much grace? All. 
Does God have a shortage supply? Does God have a limited amount of grace? Okay, you need 10 ounces of grace for this, but all grace I got left is eight. I'll give you eight. That leaves two left over. Sorry, BJ, I'm leaving you hanging on this one. I don't know how to fix this one. No, we have a God who supplies from a river that never runs dry. And that same river is our supply and where it comes from. So God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, our finances under the umbrella of all things. Is time under the umbrella of all things? Is effort, is energy under the umbrella of all things? Friendship, love relationships, marriage, family. Listen, you can have the grace that you need to abound in all things. God doesn't lack. Philippians 4.19 says we're blessed according to his riches, not our own. So when the finances aren't lining up with having all sufficiency in all things, the first question, Lord, show me where I need to steward my finances differently. It's not the question of why are you leaving me hanging? Why aren't you blessing me? Why do I not have what I need right now? The question is, show me. Show me how to steward what I have better. Man, when it's the middle of the day, you got eight hours left and you're on the couch and you're like, I just gave the last bit of effort I have in the tank today. And I still got to make dinner. And then I still have to have a meaningful conversation with my spouse. And then I got to brush my teeth. How many times before bed does brushing your teeth feel like it is like I've sat on the couch longer instead of going to bed because I'm like, I got to brush and floss before I just go to bed. I'm just going to sit here a little bit longer. Meanwhile, that takes three or four minutes and, and then I can be in bed. But how many times in the middle of the day are you dreading that there's still half a day left? I've already given all my effort. I've already expounded all of my energy. I got nothing left in the tank. Well, you have a God who's got stuff left in the tank. It's called grace and it will abound toward you. If I steward what I have, well, when God gives you something in your hand, I'm telling you it's all you need. We can look at story after story, story after story, story after story, where people use what they had in their hand and it was enough. David had rocks, he killed a giant. Moses had a staff, he led the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. That's it. There was a time Moses had power and an army. He lost it all. And then God said, do it. Use your staff. David, use that sling. Use those rocks. Man, the disciples, use that net. How about that little kid with the fish and bread? We need to feed these people. What do we have? Well, we don't have enough to feed these people. What do we have? We have a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Well, disperse it. And somehow that turns into 12 baskets of leftovers and enough food to feed thousands of people because they stewarded what they had well. So when I see lack in my life in any area, what I'm gonna do is not try to figure out where I missed it or where God missed it. I'm not gonna try to figure out how I can do something better, how I can save more energy, how I can save more money, how I can do this or that. No, I'm gonna go to 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and I'm gonna say, all right, Lord, 
we have a relationship. And what you told me in 2 Corinthians is that you have enough grace in your endless amount of grace stored up that I can have all sufficiency in everything I'm experiencing lack in. So somewhere along the lines, maybe I haven't stewarded what you've given me well. Please show me. Show me. And if I'm not hearing the Lord speak directly, look around you. That's why you're surrounded by brothers and sisters. That's why you have a pastor. That's why we have elders at our church. Because sometimes we need to go to somebody else. I needed my father-in-law to look at my income, to look at my giving, to look at what I was saving. And I needed him to say, stop putting your bread in the ground. And sometimes we need to go to those that have gone a little further than us, that are a little bit further than us and say, hey, I am really lacking here. By the end of the day, I'm so tired of these kids. I'm so tired of this spouse, which we never get tired of ours. We know that, right? This is just hypothetical for all the people out there. All hypothetical. But we need to go to people and say, man, help me. Well, what's your day like? This is how I spend my day. This is what happens. And by four o'clock, I'm spent. And let them speak into your life. Let them speak into your life. And then, of course, the best way is, man, let the Lord speak into your life. Show you what seed belongs in the ground. Show you what bread belongs in the table. This goes for finances. This goes for time. This goes for effort. This goes for energy. This goes for everything you have. It all belongs to the Lord, and he will not withhold where he wants it to go. That's how simple sowing can be. That's how simple giving can be in the kingdom. It belongs to him. Where does it go? So next week, we're going to talk about um, some other points, including tithing. We're going to talk about tithing. What does tithing look like in the new covenant, right? Because uh, I've heard some people say that, well, tithing is a part of the law. Tithing is an old covenant thing. And let me tell you, it's not. It It happened way before the old covenant was given. The principle of tithing is that when you give, when you give your first fruits or 10%, 10%, when you give that, there it's, it's a blessing. There's a blessing in it. What did the law do? Well, the law gave a penalty for not doing it. That's what's been abolished now. Jesus fulfilled the law, so there's no curse. There's no penalty for not tithing, but the principle of tithing, ooh, man, it is one that will unlock so much good stuff in your life. And I know in a way, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because I don't think there's many FCG people that don't tithe and even give above tithe but it's still going to be a good reminder. So we're still going to talk a whole lot about sowing and reaping. But if you take one thing away from today, as the band comes up here, the one thing I want you to take away from today, if you just take one thing, is that everything we have belongs to the Lord. From our money to our time and effort and energy. And as stewards of what he has put in our hands, giving And receiving is as simple as doing what he says with those things that don't even belong to us. Putting our seed in the ground, putting our bread on the table. And when we do, like the children of Israel entering the promised land, we'll begin to plow our fields, we'll begin to put seed in the ground, and then we'll stop seeing the fruit 
of those moments as the blessing, we'll understand the blessing is that my putting my hand to something will be so blessed and so prosperous that it will blow me away because where there has been lack in my life, I'll begin to experience that grace that can abound to me in all sufficiency in everything. We all get into seasons where that brook dries up. We all get into moments where we experience lack. We're human, right? Our bodies are limited. But in those limitations, you've got to remember that's not all you are. You got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You are blood bought with a price. And you got the promises of God and the word of God at your side. This is called the sword, the sword of the spirit, because it is powerful. It is a powerful tool that can bring all good things and all grace to every part of your life. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you've made us stewards of so many good things. Thank you for not withholding your word and your plans from us. Thank you that when we put our seed in the ground, we don't miss a harvest. And we always have enough bread when we put it on the table. Thank you that in areas of our lives where we've experienced lack, or even right now, feel like we're experiencing lack, show us how to be better stewards in that area. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond with a few moments of worship. Then I'll have our prayer ministers come up and we will close the service.